I'd appreciate that. And something that I uh, did not uh, plan well enough ahead when I did this three weeks ago, I normally do the message notes the night before when I would preach, but doing them three weeks in advance was a little mental challenge. But So one of the things that I would have done is created a space for you to draw a circle. So if you have a pen or pencil or something, find a space on there and draw a circle. And if you don't have a pen or a pencil, draw an imaginary circle on there. All right? All right? There you got your circle. Imaginary or real? Working on it? Okay. So I want you to think of that circle as a pie chart. Okay? And the data on that pie chart is how you spend what you have okay, in a month or a year. Now, don't actually now start putting lines on there and, and figures and percentages, but, but think if you, if you were to do that, what would that pie chart look like? How, where would the lines be and how would, thing, how would that pie be divided up? Because we're going to talk about that today in, in our message on wise finances. So just hold that because we're going to come back to that a little bit later. So uh, as, we, as we think about the book of Proverbs, uh, there are, there's lots in it about, about how we use our wealth for God's purposes. So I know this is going to be a little imaginary stretch, but think about this. If your money could talk and speak to you, what would it say? Probably never thought about that before, but if money could talk and it could speak to you, not just about random things, but if it could speak to you about God's truth about itself, what might your money tell you? Well, here's one possible scenario. Watch. Okay, don't take that little. 
unsanitary. Bottom up. You're worrying about me too much. I'll be okay. You put your trust in God, and I will bet you, myself, he will never let you down. Capiche? Okay. Are we done here? Great. Are we clear? Are we clear on this now? Great. Fantastic. All right. Scurry along now. I'll talk to you later. Go on. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Maybe, maybe not. We'll put up the next slide. So today we're going to wrap up our three-week study in the book of Proverbs. Do you remember what we did uh, on our first study? Wise decisions and priorities. We talked about how important it is to trust in the Lord. And we looked at Proverbs 3, how important that is to let that shape all of our lives. Last week we talked about wise words. Excellent. There you go. Brain cell check there. And remember, I asked you to write down two people's names that you were going to pray about talking to and speak wise words to them. Did anybody actually do that? Now, you don't have to raise your hands, but give me one of those little like auction nods if you actually did that. I see that one there. A couple here. Okay, good. Excellent. And uh, so we're going to wrap up today talking about wise finances. Now, again, you have your insert, and, and those are the scriptures that we're going to look at. And I, I need to start with a disclaimer, because any time a pastor in a church stands up and starts talking about money, it can get kind of uncomfortable. All right? I get that. I understand that. Uh, but we're going to do that by looking at what God's Word has to say, and each one of us can make an application to our own lives. So I'm not here to tell you what to do or how to do it. I'm not here to shame or conjole or make people feel guilty. We're just going to look at what God's Word has to say, and every one of us can then make an application. So ultimately, I don't want something from you today. I want something for you. And what I want for you is an in-depth, a deeper understanding about God's wisdom and God's principles surrounding wealth and money and spending and all of that together. So you you are actually more secure in how you live each and every day. All right, you ready? Let's go. Um, so we're going to look at Proverbs today. Most of the book of Proverbs was written by Solomon. Solomon was the son of King David. He was the next king after David. Solomon inherited one of the most powerful empires on the face of the earth at the time, and he became one of the wealthiest persons on the face of the earth in the most powerful kingdom on the face of the earth. So he had everything. He had anything he could imagine. And as a young man, as a young king, he went on a happiness binge. So he tried to seek happiness in fulfillment in a number of different ways. Uh, he amassed more gold and silver than anyone had on the face of the earth. I thought that would make him happy. He uh, acquired lands and vineyards and cattle, livestock, more than anyone had. He built palaces and monuments. In fact, it was under Solomon that the temple in Jerusalem got built and stood all the way through the time of Jesus. And reflecting back on all that he had done in the book of Ecclesiastes, he says this in Ecclesiastes 2. We'll put that slide up there. 
He says, Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had spent in doing it. And again, it was all vanity and a chasing after wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Maybe some of you remember this statement in the old King James. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Which is, which is his way of saying, man, I was so foolish trying to satisfy myself with stuff that will never, that was never meant to bring true joy and satisfaction. There was nothing to be gained by it. So, and he goes through Ecclesiastes and talks about all the different things that he had done. In the very last chapter, the very last verse, he puts a bow on his insights and says this in Ecclesiastes 12. He says, so here's my final, the final thought I want to share. Have respect for God, obey his commandments. This is what he expects of all human beings. And in essence, he's saying, listen, if you desire to be truly joyful, if you desire to have security beyond imagination, you're not going to find it in stuff and wealth and accumulating things. It comes from having respect for God and following what God says and applying his principles to, to your life, especially when it comes to wealth and money. So in Proverbs Solomon wrote down some of those principles. We're going to look at them today and apply them to our lives as well. And, I mean, principles that he had to learn the hard way. So imagine now that your money could talk to you based on what Proverbs says. What would your money say? Three things I want to touch on today. Here's the first. Your money would say, honor my real owner faithfully. In Proverbs 3, verse 9, let's read that together. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Give him the first share of all your crops. All right, so again, Israel was an agrarian culture. You know, they didn't think in terms of like money like we do, but wealth was thought of as in terms of livestock and farming and crops. So the, the point that Solomon is making here is that the real owner of everything that you have is the Lord. Every breath that you take, the next beat of your heart, your time and talent and treasure, it all belongs to the Lord and comes to each one of us in different amounts entrusted to you to be used by you for what the Lord desires. And our responsibility then as stewards is to, is to use that to honor God. And, and the way that we do that is give him the first share of all of your crops. That means uh, to give back to God generously of what he's first given to you. And this, this teaching in Proverbs about first fruits giving reflects Leviticus in the Old Testament when it says one-tenth of the produce of the land or your cattle or whatever you have belongs to the Lord would be set apart to him as holy, which means would be given back. Again, God doesn't need food or cattle or money, but God commanded this to make sure we put the right emphasis on all that we have as coming from the Lord, and we can give it back to him to honor him. Now, let's, let's kind of go back and think in terms of being in an agrarian culture 3,000 years ago. What would the natural thing be when harvest time came? What, what, would the, what would the natural instinct be? I mean, you're gathering in whatever you're growing. 
Well, the natural thing, I think, would be you got barns, so you got to store up enough grain or whatever it is that you're growing to take care of yourself until the next harvest season, so you got to live off that. So your first priority would probably be fill up your barns for your, you know, what you're going to eat. Then your next priority would be and make sure there's enough seed or whatever to plant for the next season. And then let's put some over in this barn to sell so we got some money in between. And then... Oh, there's some leftover. Yeah, God, that's yours. Right? Be honest. Be honest. Wouldn't that be the temptation? Yeah. That's, that's how we humanly think. Let's take care of us first, and then God, if there's anything left over, well, you can have all of it. Because I don't need it anymore. I'm taking care of it. So uh, that's the natural instinct. But here... Solomon is saying in Proverbs 3, no, 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 you got it backwards. Give God the tithe first before everything else is, is accounted for. Give it to him first, give him the first and the best as a sign, first of all, that you thank the Lord for all of the gifts that God provides and that also then you're trusting him with what remains that it will be enough for you to live on. I mean, it really, this is really an act of trust in God. The application for us today, it's pretty clear, isn't it? I mean, isn't our tendency to kind of do the same thing with our income and our expenses? I mean, the check comes in every month, right? We got to take care of this bill and that bill and that expense and whatever and put some aside. And then, you know, if there's anything left, well, God, that's yours. And again, that's backwards thinking. Because based on this spiritual principle that the Lord has given to Solomon, no, to show our thankfulness to God, we would give God the first and the best of what comes in, that we would give our tithe before anything else is paid, and then trust that there would be enough somehow to take care of ourselves because God has promised to be taking care of us. And that is the principle of the tithe, principle of first fruits giving as a way to honor the Lord with everything we have as we first give first back to him what he's first given to us. Now, as a pastor, um, you know, I've come to understand how important this is, but I did not get this in my life for a long period of time. I was telling, talking to John, uh, I, I've known John for, wow, how many decades, John? I mean, I, I run out of fingers. How, but we were just talking about giving and tithing. And, and, uh, but, but I did not grow up in a family that understood this. And I'm not, I'm not criticizing my parents. I love them. They they were, we were sat in the same place every Sunday morning. Um, but either this was talked about and I wasn't listening, which is, you know, that could definitely happen. Um, or it wasn't talked about, I'm, I'm not sure. But my parents didn't understand this either because I vividly remember the most exciting time of the worship service for me was when the offering was taken. I'd normally sit, my parents would sit in the middle, I'd sit next to my dad, my sister would sit next to my mom. When the offering was being taken, we sat about five rows back, so my dad had enough time to reach in his wallet, riff through the bills, and he'd pull out a $1 bill. And the only question was, do I get to put it in or does my sister get to put it in? All right, so we would alternate. And man, I'd hold that and look at that and pow, look at that, a dollar, a whole dollar bill to God. Wow. 
Now, that was $52 a year, and it's not the amount that matters, but it's the, it's the, it's the, the, the motivation behind it. But I knew, I didn't know what my parents made, but now looking back on it, yeah, it was more than $520 a year, okay? They, they didn't have a high school education, neither of them, but they both worked hard, but they didn't get it. But they knew it was the right thing to give something to God. And that's what I grew up doing. I just when it was time for the offering, you open up your wallet, you put a $1 bill in. That's what I did all the way through college. I mean, I didn't have a lot of money, and, but that's what I did. And in seminary, for some reason, I can't ever remember any class ever talking about this. Just it was like, boop, this, there was more important stuff. So when I went on internship, that's the normally happens after the first two years of seminary. You spend a whole year out really learning how to be a pastor with a pastor in a church. So uh, on my internship pastor, Pastor Bill, uh, first week we sat down, we went over a lot of the who, what, why, kind of all the basic things going on in church and who people were. And Bill was kind of a guy who didn't hold back. Bill just put it out there. So in our conversation orientation, he said, so are you going to tithe? And I took a deep breath and said, yeah. Not really. I mean, I kind of got it, but I didn't really understand it. And so I committed to doing it. He had shared with me his story that he'd been doing this all of his ministry, and there was blessings uh, with that. And so I said, yeah. And I hadn't gotten a paycheck yet. And so, I mean, I did some quick Bible study. I go, 10%. <laughs> okay. And I, then I got my first paycheck, which is the first really big regular paycheck that I'd ever gotten in my whole life which at that time, this was 71, 73, 1973, was $500. That was what I made every month. But hey, I was living rent-free, and $500, that's incredible. So $500, $50, I'm going to have $440 left over. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, there you go. I mean, let's tithe, and this will be, be way more than I'll ever need. And it was just something that started back then when I got my first real paycheck and that I continued all my, my life long till th th through now. And somehow, you know, God's been faithful. God has provided. Yeah, I, you know, there's things that I've wanted that I, we couldn't afford, but God has been faithful. And that's the testimony, I think, of anyone who's ever made a commitment to tithe based on these verses. They would say they would not do it any other way. Is that right, John? Can I hear an amen? <laughs> amen. Okay. So th that's, again, that's part of, of understanding wise principles of wealth, that you would listen to your money and say, honor my real owner faithfully as you give the first share of all of, your, of, all of what you have back to him to say thank you and to trust him. After all, God's given us everything of himself in Jesus Christ. His death on the cross, his resurrection, been so generous. It's one way to say, Lord, thank you for your generosity. I desire to say thank you through my generosity back to you as you've asked for. Okay, so that's the first principle. Uh, these second two will be a little bit shorter. Here, here's the second principle. We'll put that up there. This is, this is pretty obvious, but we just need to say it. Earn me honestly, your money would say to you. Earn me honestly. 
Money gained in the wrong way disappears, but money gathered little by little grows, and it implies little by little is that you're earning that faithfully. Uh, A few months ago, I got a shocking call. I normally don't answer numbers that I don't know on my cell phone, but I was expecting somebody to call, and so I answered it, and oh my goodness, it was the IRS on the phone. (laughs) And the person said that I owed tens of thousands of dollars in back taxes, and there was a warrant ready to be issued for my arrest, and that this guy was ready to send you know, the, the police over to arrest me, and the way that I could avoid all of that is by paying a small fine, $350, okay? And so I kind of went along with this, and I said, okay, so you want me to mail something? He said, no, 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 no. No, I want you to stay on the line, go to the bank, get $350, and then go to Western Union, and we'll give you the number to wire it to so that you know you can avoid being arrested and spending time in prison. I just wanted to hear where this was going to end up, and I said, you know what? Send, send the guys to arrest me, okay? That's, you know, it obviously was a scam. But the point of it is, man, isn't it amazing all of the ways that we as human beings can find ways to earn, get money dishonestly, okay? The phone scams, I mean, it's just one. Uh, cutting corners at work, shoddy workmanship, showing up late, leaving early, not fulfilling our responsibilities. And then you get into the, the felony stuff, embezzlement and all kinds of things. There's, there's so many ways that we can, can be dishonest in earning our money, but it's clear that God wants us to use the talents and abilities that he's given to us to earn what we have with integrity and with honesty as a way of honoring him. So earn me honestly, honestly money would... Say the third point, we'll put that up there, is this. Then, we'll put that next slide up. Then manage me responsibly. Rich people rule over those that are poor. Proverbs 22.7 says, borrowers are slaves to lenders. And, and I picked out this verse because, wow, we are a society that lives on credit. And... Uh, credit card debt is is so am- amazingly uh, uh, just enslaves so many people. I, I just found this stat, and, uh, and we'll put it up in a second. But before I do, how much credit card debt do you think there is in, with the United States today? What people owe on their credit cards? You want to risk taking a, a guess? Oh, did you see the same article that I said? Put it up there. Who said a trillion? Total revolving consumer credit reached $1.57 trillion in the March of 2019. That's a lot of money. You know, and, 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 and a big chunk, 43%, carry that over. So they're now paying interest on the credit. And, and I mean, this is, this, is a, this is a trap. This is a hole that people get caught in. Man, and it's just devastating. I'm not here to criticize. I'm not here to point fingers. I'm just saying it can be a real trap. And it happens, I think, because so many people get caught up in wanting what they don't have 
and credit is an easy way to do that and there's really not a plan to pay it off and they get sucked in by having the latest whatever phone or gizmo or what i mean just but it's a it's this vicious cycle where if i get that then i'll be fill in the blank happier more successful whatever and it, and it just leads to ultimately a lot of pain which is why Paul addresses this in the New Testament and gives us some wise word about managing our finances responsibly when he says this in, in uh, 1 Timothy. He says, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop there. True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Paul is saying to Timothy, when a person loves Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and follows God's word with everything, but especially with their, with their financial resources, there's going to be a contentment that results that they're not going to be driven by their desires to have more, just to have more. And because of God working in our hearts to shape our desires, that is great wealth. That is so valuable as a way of using our wealth responsibly. Then uh, he goes on to say, after all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. You've heard that before. People say, right, you can't take it with you? There you go, right out of the Bible. Did you know that? Right out of the Bible. So if we have enough food and clothing, let's be content. Why? Because we know God loves us. Because remember what we sang? Because God is a what? Good, good Father who cares, who loves, who provides beyond what we can imagine and understand. The point of all of this is the more we trust in the Lord to provide, the more then the Lord's going to shape our desires to want what he wants for us instead of being driven by what we want to have more. And that, that changes everything with that pie chart. And God wants to bring blessings into your life as you use manage everything you have responsibly. So the good news, when you listen to your money talk and you honor the Lord faithfully, you earn, earn money honestly, and you manage your wealth responsibly, the good news is this promise in the next verse of Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 10. We'll put that up there. Let's read this promise together. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Again, a promise to those who honor the Lord with first fruits giving. And the promise is stated in, again, agrarian terms. And what's being said here is this, is that the Lord will provide. You will find true security when you honor the Lord with your wealth as he has laid out. And so the point of this promise of more isn't that God, the promise isn't just that God desires to raise your standard of living so that you can have more and more for yourself. This promise is God desires to raise your standard of giving so you can do more and more for his kingdom and for those in need and you can bless them, and, and then through that, give glory to God. So, putting all this together, I, I just want to wrap up with one video. Think about your pie chart. Okay? 
And if you, if you ever haven't done this, you know, go home and look at the percentages of where you spend and, and as a little humorous way of wrapping up as you, as you think about your pie chart, your finances, your expenses, my prayer and hope is that you're not this guy. Watch. So I don't know if you could understand the guy with the German accent, but he said, dude, he brought the pie. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And that's why we're here, because God provides everything that we have. And so let us, as God's people, honor him faithfully, earn our money honestly and wisely, and then manage everything we have responsibly. So as we close for today, stand if you are able, and let us join together in prayer. So Lord, thank you for your great generosity with each one of us, Lord, beyond what we can imagine, how you give and give and give beyond what we ever deserve. Every good gift, Lord, comes from you. We acknowledge that today. We say thank you. As we stand in your, in your presence today, first, we, we give you our praise and our thanks in this time of worship, but our desire is, Lord, to do more than that, is to be faithful to you, to honor you with our wealth, to thank you for all of your generosity to us. So, Lord, work in our hearts. Give us that desire to serve you above all else and then to use all that you've given us, Lord, in responsible ways that we might even give more and bless other people around us, Lord, with what you have generously given to us. And Lord, we, uh, we take this time, this quiet moment in prayer to lift up those who are sick or suffering in any way, those that we name in our hearts before you now in this moment of quiet. Lord, bless them, watch over them, and help them.